were so focused on the process of innovation rather than the thinking and the people behind innovation or creation that I don't think we, we've realized or reached our potential. That's Ken Tenser, an expert on innovation and a longtime student of human ingenuity. He is the CEO of Spiderworks, co-author of two books on innovation, the curator of Say Hi to the Future, and an adjunct professor at the International School of Management. It's not just listening to the voices of the customer or your internal team. It's understanding what's driving um, those voices. It's understanding, interpreting what's behind the voice and the words that are being said that, that I think are critical. So how do we get to the why behind the what? How can we train ourselves to approach innovation and really identify future opportunities more effectively? And what does it look like to exercise your human ingenuity muscle? Welcome to Strategic Momentum. I'm your host, Connie Steele. When we think of innovation, we tend to think about new products, new technologies. But Ken Tenser believes that human ingenuity is the spark that will ignite the future. And Ken is really a passionate student of this field of study. He's currently pursuing a doctor of business administration focused on human ingenuity and innovation, as well as serving as curator of Say Hi to the Future, which is part podcast, part activation, part ingenuity lab, and part quantitative assessment. Ken is dedicated to bringing people together to find solutions for, quote, wicked problems, unquote. And he has some critical insight and experience to share and how we can start doing this in our organizations and our own lives. Because the future isn't just about the future of work, but it's about the future of life. Thanks so much, Ken, for being on the show today. Thank you, Connie. It's uh, great to have the opportunity to talk again. Yes, absolutely. So as I do with all of my guests, I ask if they could share their career journey and those important milestones that have led them to where they are today. So we'd love to hear yours. Sure. I mean, I I think my journey was in some ways preordained. I I, um, was born into an entrepreneurial family. My wife comes from an entrepreneurial family. I was one of those kids that 12, 13, 14 years old, was starting and trying different businesses, um, created my own summer uh, jobs for a couple of years in university, and just knew that I was going to go out on my own. And, you know, I, without giving my age away, I've been working 37 years, 30 of it, as an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. One of my early um, businesses was actually uh, co-founding and building a natural bath and body care uh, business, so organic shampoos, conditioners, lotions. And we broke into some of the very, very large organizations and retailers in North America, then Australasia and Europe, because we, we, we were kind of one of the first in. And, you know, today when, when I talk about natural bath and body care, you're probably going, well, that's, that's an old, you know, category. And today it is, then it wasn't. So... That, that was a really big part of um, building it and exiting. It was a very big part of my career. Uh, a lot of passive um, investments, as I think most entrepreneurs have along the way. But then uh, joined Spiderworks. Um, and I know we'll talk about it a bit later, but we're, we're a 30-year-old company. I've been here 18. We help organizations um, solve wicked problems. 
And I've had the opportunity to work with companies across six continents. So it's been, um, it's been really fun to, to build, to exit, to start again, and then to help others. Well, you certainly had quite an interesting career mashup because I know that uh, in addition to being the serial entrepreneur, you know, and you have this business consultancy, you're a speaker, you're a curator, you're an adjunct professor. So I'd love to hear how this career mashup that you've created has been uh, helpful for you professionally and personally and how it has been impactful to others. Sure. I I think there's three things that really drive me and they, they drive um, they're, they're values that drive myself and, and my organization. Also, the people, when you speak to being a curator and whatnot, what drives what I curate in terms of, say, hi to the future. And again, we'll talk a little bit about that, that after. But it, the, the first value is, is passion. And you really need to believe in what you're doing. And I, I, I enjoyed my first business. The business was successful. I can't say I was passionate about it. I didn't love it. And, and that was, um, I think, a really important realization for me that if you want to get past day-to-day work into a career or a true building mode or a giving back mode, which I sort of see as you know, the, the opus of, of what you can do in your career, you have to be truly passionate about what you do. The next thing that I'll say about me is um, savagely curious, N- not only work and, and yes, adjunct prof and, and the things you mentioned. Um, I, I did my undergrad in marketing. I did a grad in international finance. And in my 50s, I've gone back and I'm doing my doctorate in human ingenuity, in clever, inventive, original thinking. And for me, always learning, always asking questions um, has been amazing. And giving back to individuals as a prof, I mean, they they give much more to me because I get to understand what people are thinking, what they're feeling, the questions they're asking. And and it really gives me insights into um, today's culture and, and tomorrow's opportunities. And the last one is, is audacity. And as I said, I've always been an entrepreneur. I was raised around entrepreneurs. Audacity used to be a really bad word. Like, you know, you join a company, you stay there forever, and, and you just sort of, you know, put one foot in front of the other. And if you're lucky, they give you a gold watch or a fake gold watch at the end of 40 years. I never bought into that. And I think that the audacity or audacity just simply means going out and having the gumption to believe in yourself and to believe that you might be able to do something a little better or, or differently than um, a, another individual, than another company. And I think that those three things, passion, savage, curiosity, and audacity, they're just a driving force of, of who I am and everything that I've done. Your point about audacity and how it just really reflects having the gumption to do something, I think that extend that further. I think having audacity reflects your willingness to try, right? You're not afraid of failure. It's about testing, learning, failing forward, if you want to call it in tech, but this is the only way you learn. And this is the way that you get to fulfill the savage curiosity, which then helps you understand if what you've explored is something you're passionate about. So I can completely see how all three are intertwined. 
And because of everything that you've done, they've enabled you to kind of create a very compelling career that constantly fuels all three. So let's talk more about Spiderworks, what Spiderworks does, as well as your show, Say Hi to the Future, which I had the pleasure of being on and truly enjoyed it. Sure. Well, Spiderworks, first, um, it's a 30-year-old business consultancy. We work with mid-market organizations and entrepreneurs. As we like to say, we're honed over 30 years across six continents. We've had an incredible opportunity to, again, through our own experience and through the companies we work with, work pretty much in every continent, uh, well, except for Antarctica in terms of uh, physical consulting. I think there are three really critical things that that, that we do, and, and they draw from one, starting with human ingenuity, um, you know, creating that world of possibilities for the owner, owner or the senior manager, then narrowing it down and helping them to, to swivel. And we, we like the word swivel versus pivot. We feel that pivot is very harsh. And, and most organizations, they, they really don't, it, well, many do not need to pivot. And frankly, it's almost impossible um, to pivot, to stop and make that really hard left or right turn. And so we, we've chosen to help companies swivel and continuously adjust to their market, to their customers, to, to the future uh, of the industry that, w- that we're in. And the third part is uh, seamless integration to market. Um, having, again, the, the partners we've operated in our organizations globally. So we do have the capacity to help them uh, not walk in and become their operations department, but help them to understand how to seamlessly integrate and go to market. And I think those are, those are you know, three wonderful tenants, seeing, the, 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 again, the world of possibilities singling out the individual strategic opportunity you want to swivel to and seamlessly going to market. And do you feel too that given what you've been doing with Spiderworks for a long tenure is also what led you to wanting to get this PhD in human ingenuity as well? Because I know that innovation, that focus on innovation is a kind of a core focus for the company, but also just yourself too. That's where you have had this savage curiosity. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, some things just sort of evolve naturally. Um, people asked where my first book came from and um, it was called The 90% Rule. It was about innovation from an entrepreneur's perspective. And it just sort of came out of me. Like I literally got some coaching advice, went away and started writing about it. And Innovation, though, in and of itself, when you think about it, it is very linear. It is very process driven. Yes, the upfront can you've you've got your fuzzy challenges or, or however you want to talk to them, but it, it really it really is process driven. And I think from there we realize that it's not just about innovation; it's also about entrepreneurship, which is internal entrepreneurship, and it comes down to how do you build the you know the teams and the mentorship and the leadership to bring opportunities to market within um, a large company. Um, what we found there is that we didn't have everything down pat because as, as you can imagine, I'm sure your other guests have told you, innovation can be, you know, who wants to be on the innovation team? And it's like, oh, I do, I do. Um, or, you know, Ken looks creative. He should be on the team. But that's just not how you build the right team for innovation. You have to understand, obviously, the different skill sets and the different 
um, types of innovation and, and, and the stages from startup to, uh, to scale up to leveling to, re, to redoing it. So we went from innovation to entrepreneurship. And then we really said the, the problem is, though, people don't know how to think about innovation. Um, and, and that's not a slight to anybody, but think about what we learned um, growing up. You know, our math teacher would teach us to start at the top and work to the solution at the bottom and show all of our work. Our chem teacher told us to start at the bottom, start with something in, um, in a test tube and go to a beaker, then go to a pot. Again, you're showing your work. But what happens when you don't have all of the information, when you have a wicked problem where, where there is a gap? And, you know, every day, think about, think about a paramedic who comes upon a scene and somebody is unconscious and they can't articulate, oh, I fell down, I hit my head, I have this disease or that condition, here's what you need to know. They're extrapolating. Um, if you're a jurist, um, you're extrapolating if you don't have specific, you know, minute by minute of, of, of a crime. And today, though, that need for its, its, its abductive reasoning, solving wicked problems, working on things without complete information, it's, it's critical to everybody to, because our world, is, our world is changing so quickly. And it used to be a joke, you know, building the plane as you fly it, but now you literally have to. So I've come, you know, my, my evolution from innovation to adding in entrepreneurship and now adding in ingenuity and leading to say hi to the future has been very, very natural and, and market driven. None of this was my idea. None of this was me saying, oh, we need to do this. This was just me, uh, Ken, my, Ken, I love talking about myself in third person, <laughs> but me and a team listening to the market, interpreting what the market is saying. Uh, and, and frankly, that's, that's where great ideas come from. They rarely come from your own head, <laughs> at, least not, <laughs> at least not from mine, I'll, I'll say. I'll put it that way. Well, I was definitely going to cue into that point of it was all about listening. Clearly, the fact that that is something that is so reflective of just you in order to fulfill Again, that passion, that curiosity, that audacity, you know that you have to constantly listen and learn, whether it's from your students, whether it's from what you see in the market, whether that's what you see from your customers, but all of its data and information that helps you better understand what is going on because none of us could possibly have all the answers. And it isn't a linear pathway to innovate, to a solution or get to figuring out what that best approach could be. And I know that's a lot of what you uh, explore too on Say Hi to the Future with your various guests. And it's great perspective for people to hear these various stories. So, you know, let's talk about what's going on and sort of these shifts and the transformations that we're seeing, because we all know that change is constant. Uncertainty is a new certainty. Uh, and building the plane <laughs> as you're flying it is pretty much almost a state, I think so many people feel like they're in. And so, you know, again, we've had such a profound transformation in the way we work, where we work, the place we work. Um, just in our lives, people are redefining what they want and need. And companies aren't are realizing they can't engage with the workforce in the same way anymore. Clearly, you guys have realized, oh, you know, you need to think differently about 
how you help your customers. So, you know, for any company to truly thrive, they know they have to understand the voice of the customer. But I believe in this new world of work, companies need to do the same thing, which is understand the voice of their workforce. You know, they're the lifeblood of the company that creates the innovations and experiences for those they serve. And human ingenuity happens to be a pretty key factor that can differentiate a business, right? Yeah, it definitely does. And just on say hi to the future, because hi is human ingenuity, a clever invent of original thinking. Um, it came about through the desire to listen, uh, whether it was internally or externally. And it came about from the desire to to really understand people who broke through in ways that they may not, you would never imagine that they would have. And, and some of our guests, because it's a podcast, it's become events, it's going to be announced as a university cohort going forward. We've had people on now, um, some who, one who's grown up in um, a refugee camp in Africa and found his way to getting his PhD in the US and works for UN Subcommittee on Agriculture feeding sub-Saharan Africa, to uh, a, a young man who nearly lost his life um, in, in gang life and had this revelation. And now he's the chair of a major board of trade and very successful. So listening to people, understanding their stories, understanding those breakthrough points are, are, are absolutely critical. And whether it's the voice of the customer or I just say the voice, <laughs> I'm not sure I can say that with a voice TV show. <laughs> voice of the people. You can edit that one out. <laughs> but the, the voice of the customer, the voice of internally understanding people and how they think and what they want today is, is, is critical. And, you know, I, I look at myself and, and, and I look at some of these discussions of, should we go back to the office? Shouldn't we go back to the office? Oh, Ken doesn't want to go back to the office. He's being difficult. No. Um, here's what I found out about myself through the pandemic. And um, <laughs> this is for a different show, but I get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning. Why? I don't know. <laughs> That's just who I am. I, I love what I do and I work a lot. But taking a break in the middle of the day, frankly, and walking my dog in, in a leafy neighborhood that I happen to be in really re-energizes me. And, and there, you know, there's people in our company who like to take an hour swim uh, in the middle of the day. It gives them a break and re-energizes themselves. So it's not just listening to the voices of the customer or your internal team. It's understanding what's driving um, those voices. Because when I say I don't want to come to the office every day, it's not because I'm being difficult. It's because I, I actually find that I'm, I, I just work much better after a walk in the afternoon. Um, I work much better when, you know, Toronto has the, the longest commuter before the pandemic, the longest commute in North America. If, if I can skip that, I, I am much more productive. So, to me, it's yes, the voice is there, but it's understanding, interpreting what's behind the voice and the words that are being said that, that I think are critical. A hundred percent agree, because it's always understanding the why behind the what, because you need the context. A lot of a lot of us don't always take the time, or we may not think to dive deep enough to understand the reasoning for people's 
decisions, preferences, attitudes, behaviors. It's once you do have that dialogue and understand what drives it, then you've got much better context for the way they work, why they want the way they to work the way they want to work. And so it everybody really wants to just be in the best environment that lets them perform the best. I think if we can all understand that is the goal that each and every individual is looking to achieve and also accept that there are different ways to get there, then you start to have much more um, healthy dialogue. And, and for me, so much of this is that I believe the future work is really about being fluid, take into account what different people want and need. And it is very human. So as someone who is an expert in innovation and human ingenuity, since we've talked about it a little bit, I think it'd probably be helpful for people who may be wondering, well, what are they talking about? What is human ingenuity anyway? Can you share a definition for us um, and tell us how has it evolved over the years? Yeah, so human ingenuity, um, it's, it simply is clever, inventive, and original thinking. It is a capacity to make a decision um, without all of the information so that you have to extrapolate, you have to, um, you know, make decisions without complete information. And, and it's really applied to, I mean, you know, we talk about wicked problems and, and wicked problems are, are simply, again, problems where you don't have all the information. So in today's world, there are very few decisions that we need to make um, or that we are asked to make in which we have all the, the information. And I think the other thing, why things like ingenuity, um, human ingenuity, and, and its application to VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous information or, or, or situations, they've been around for decades. But... The world wasn't moving that fast. Again, I, not, not to date myself, but I mean, the first computer I worked with had punch cards that you would fill out. Um, yesterday, I, I saw um, a server room that was tiny. It would have been thousands of square feet 20, 30 years ago. We truly have to make decisions so quickly um, each and every day. And we are responsible for people who are making more and more decisions and we need to learn not to be, um, it's not, not afraid, but we need to, we need to learn um, how to be comfortable with uncertainty. Um, I, I think that's the number one thing. And that's why I think that things like human ingenuity and, and extrapolation and um, doing scenario planning are so critical today in, in business um, why, and in life. And I'll go a little deeper into scenario planning because it is critical to the application of ingenuity or dealing with volatility. You know, we're so used to SWOT analysis, um, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And sometimes I walk in and I see organizations who've done it. And I, I just, I feel like people think that they're going to get a bonus for every point that they put down on the board um, because there's so many. But there's 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 static points and and traditionally they've just gone, you know, onto a shelf or into a cupboard. And I think that more important today than coming up with your list of 30 is testing your top three um, to do a scenario plan on your top three strengths or weaknesses, opportunities or threats. And and in doing that, you're building that ingenuity muscle. These things may never happen. But 
you now have a framework to think through um, potential challenges, potential opportunities. And even though they may not happen, um, it's, it's like muscle memory in anything, in a sport, in business, and, and whatever it is you're doing. You're developing muscle memory to what questions you can ask, um, how you might feel when something jumps up on you in business. And, and I think that that's what is so absolutely critical today and why ingenuity and thinking and learning to think with incomplete information, really, um, it's, it's the future. Well, it's the past and the future. <laughs> it's now about thinking fast on your feet yeah. almost all the time now. And so to your point of how businesses need to build this muscle to do scenario planning, I see this completely trickling down into individuals personally and professionally, because not only is there so much uncertainty going on in a business environment, it impacts individuals as well. Obviously, we have kind of the macro world at large having various ups and downs. Um, then you can take that to your work situation. So in a business, but even in your home life, uh, there's certainly more and more change. So if as an individual, you can build this fundamental skill of planning, which we share a lot of in, in the research that we've done too, because you know, when you're not clear on what the end goal is, the way to get there will be fundamentally different. But if you're not clear on what it is you're trying to achieve, then it's going to be hard to have that footing and feel that inevitably you're making the necessary progress or even how to evaluate the right kind of progress. And so then there's all these competing um, efforts and initiatives and it, it creates an incredible amount of anxiety and stress. So I 100% agree and in alignment with that. And I feel that it's so much not just for, again, an organization, but such an important skill that an individual can apply in their own lives when it comes to scenario planning. Because how many times have we in our life, when we think of future work, it's future work in life, have had to plan for completely unexpected situations that come into play. Well, and uh, Connie, just to build on that, that's one of, again, you know, something that we did not plan for, but um, podcasts, as I said, have become event activations where we come together, very diverse crowds uh, to, to, to learn to solve or approach or think about things like resilience or building equality. And it's now becoming um, a college and university course. Um, because again, to your point exactly, we need to become comfortable with that. And we, we really, in a positive way, really have, we, we like to <laughs> keep people a little bit, um, not, not, not confused, what, a little, a little bit off, on edge. <laughs> yeah, on edge. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. You know, where, where we start them on a project, they, they don't know the people they're working with. They don't know what the project um, or the discussion is going to be about. We like to throw in changes in the middle of it, move them around. And you know, one of the great things about it is it, it, we always say you can't read the warning labels from inside the bottle. Um, and organizations are always trying to solve their own problems. Um, here we are helping people understand how to solve other problems, other people's problems, and becoming comfortable with 
problem solving, wicked problem solving to begin with. Because if you don't have the fundamentals of, of how to approach a wicked problem, you're not going to be able to get thrown into it at work or in your personal life and, and succeed. I mean, you might get lucky, but you won't do it, I don't believe, on an ongoing basis. Agreed. So what do you feel are the challenges when it comes to really harnessing this human ingenuity when we are dealing with so much change? And what do you think gets people and organizations stuck the most? Well, I, I think that um, my generation... And I'll just put it that way. I mean, I, I remember I remember one of my last courses in undergrad. It was strategic management. And one of the profs said, um, you know, put, when, when, you're, when you're done, just put one foot in front of the other. And, um, and, and as I said before, at the end of 40 years, you'll get a gold watch. And I'm like, wow, that was one of the worst uh, motivational speeches I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Especially somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur. Um, and you take that thinking and you apply it today, um, or you see it applied sometimes that way in management. It's changing, obviously. But uh, as I also said, you, you take that and you put in the same room. As I said, I have, I have three kids and three stepkids, all between 25 and 30. And they grew up with the capacity to speak to anybody in the world at any time of the day or night about any topic that they so choose. Um, and they it's it's incredible it's, it's not just a freedom of communication it's an invitation uh to engage and i i think that that's one of the number one issues is that we need to understand um the next generation better and the fact that in my mind they're the best generation in terms of communication or trained in communication of any generation yet because we did not have that. We did not have that capacity or that ability to learn. We didn't, in my generation, we didn't have computers. So I think understanding generations is, is probably the number one issue I see. Because, again, if you can understand and appreciate their ability to research, communicate, discuss, you'll be more open to some of these exercises that we do. You'll be open to different voices, diversity of voices uh, in, in every sense of the word. And, and until we get there, until we are, are accepting of, of true diversity, and when I mean, when I say that, you know, in our event rooms, we have um, college and university students, sometimes high school up to CEOs. Um, we have people who come from quantum physics. We have people who come from... Um, not-for-profit, true diversity of thought across the ages, uh, that, that's what we have to become accepting and open to. And, and while we might not achieve that full diversity, again, of thought uh, within our company day-to-day, -day, it, it's a starting point to understand, yeah, every voice um, is an important voice. To me, what that gives you is such a broad perspective of um, people's sort of drivers, motivations, reasoning, rationale, right? Because depending on if you have somebody who's in high school versus college, that's one certain life stage that they're going through and the way they approach sol pro solving problems and the things that, care, that they care about most is one lens. But putting them in the same room as 
you know, a CEO, right? Very different life stage, yeah. uh, very different problems. But to me, there's always knowledge that's transferable. Yeah. Yet we seem to have lived in a world where it's still been very siloed, rigid, linear in nature, that the value comes from people who are more seasoned because they've lived certain experience that are similar to yours. Mm-hmm. Now I just see this shift where great ideas really do come from anywhere, or really I should say that that's always been the case, but there's a recognition that some of the most inventive ideas or or ways that we could think about a problem differently to break through comes from the most unexpected places. And to your point, when we open ourselves up to understand, to learn, to listen, to me, I 100% agree. You, you can bridge the gap. And I do also agree that there has been, unfortunately, this generational gap and almost uh, this desire to say our way is the right way or this belief that a traditional approach, because it's comfortable and it's known, is the go forward when in reality it can't be because you have new generations that are maturing and they're going to be taking over anyway. Absolutely. And again, to build on that, there's also, there's a need today to embrace different generations and diversity. I mean, there's one thing and I, and I joke about my generation, but the truth was when I was in manufacturing and it was decades ago now, I could sit back and plan what I was going to launch next year or two years out and what SKU or or product um, I was going to take out of the lineup 12, 18, 24 months down the road. Today, again, those decisions, those new product launches, especially in technology, are happening over a period of months, not over a period of years. So the first thing that I think is important, and again, as I said, I jest about my generation and where we come from, we didn't need to. We didn't need to engage a thousand people to figure out what new product was coming out two years from now. You know, we could sit in a smaller room and and work with a little bit of research and and come up with our own ideas. So there's no blame there. There's just a recognition that the need is different and and the 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 landscape is different, and we have great tools um, in the next generation. Or the next generation has great tools and assets that that prepares them to support and help us and to, and and we in turn can support and help their growth and maturation in in the workforce. So tell us about um these fundamentals that we need to really unleash human ingenuity across the generations because you had talked earlier that if we just don't understand some of these fundamentals to deal with this constant change and not have that perfect information, we can get stuck. And I, I certainly see how you know your ability to bring different generations together can help fill the holes when you don't have that perfect information, when you don't have all the information. But you know, what are some of those core things to help people really embrace unleashing people's full potential and possibly their passion? I've always said it's eyes, ears, and feet. (laughs) I'll explain that. I mean, what we've been talking about or talking to is uh, is something I've always said. Um, 
if you keep staring at your, your, your screen, you're only going to see the world one way. You need to sort of tilt your head up. So what, the, the metaphor I use is that when I travel, um, I never go underground. I like to walk. I like to look. I like to feel and see. And um, I think one of the things to do is, is to embrace, again, um, the exploration in yourself and the exploration in your team. Um, I've, I've had, it was a number of years ago now, but we had sort of um, a, a fund or an allowance to, to do different types of learning. And, and somebody actually took a pottery course and a, a friend of mine said, well, what the heck is that about? You know, how is that going to help your company? And I said, you know, if they can learn differently, if they can learn, you know, tactile uh, learning or, or tactile experience, they're going to see things differently. Um, and that's, I, th- I, I, I don't know anything about pottery, but when I look at it, I, I see that, you know, you're working with different materials, you're working with different shapes and you're forming things differently. And, and I think that whether it's your own exploration or those around you, the more you can get out, the more you can um, attend things and not just within your own organization. And today, through Zoom, listen to, I think that's probably the number one skill building um, or skill allowance, if you will, that, that you need to give yourself and, and to the next generation. Whatever the learning is, it, it's going to build what they can bring to a room. I love that advice. <laughs> I was purposely jotting down thoughts, by the way. <laughs> but it's know thyself, explore thyself, because when you do you inevitably might unleash something that you didn't know. You are then able to create those connections to other areas that are your skills, your talents, your interests, your passions that you may not have even recognized that have a relationship and could have a very positive outcome to not just yourself, but to others you work with and ultimately businesses at large. And I certainly see this as that idea of the mashup where like you, you've recognized that all of these various interests that you've had and you've just let the market somewhat pull you in a certain direction, all of that eventually converges, which creates such a unique version of oneself to be able to think very differently because you've talent stacked in such a way that all these disparate pieces that other people may think it's all disparate. The reality is you see the connection. Yes. And that's what can completely create to me that breakthrough of an idea. Yes. And you you used a phrase in there that um, has been used to describe our programs a lot, um, a day or a way of thinking differently. And um, I think that that's so critical because, again, you know, what is the link between human ingenuity and innovation and why am I so focused on it and letting people experience and see field? Uh, you, you hit on it perfectly. Um, if, if we experience, we will build ourselves. We will think um, in new ways and different ways um, and open up opportunity and those opportunities are what we ultimately bring to market in, in a, innovative products or services and for not-for-profit. It, it's not just about business. It's about society and social change. But we've 
we were so focused, in my opinion, on the process of innovation rather than the thinking and the people um, behind innovation or creation um, that, that, that I don't think we, we've realized or reached our potential. You said something just so profound. I, I um, walk away with this whole um, takeaway that it still just gets back to thinking about us as human beings. What do we want? What do we need? What do we need to experience? Yeah. But I'm like, what, the more we experience, the more we pursue breath over just depth, which was more of the thinking when it came to work and careers that you need to be the specialist, right? Go very deep and be known for that one area versus now you see the younger generation wanting to pursue so many different things that seem completely disparate, but there's an interest and there's that passion towards wanting to master something that, that, that is really what fuels them. It is this breath, but it is also this element of sensing and feeling, not just doing that brings together this potential magical breakthrough that brings that human ingenuity to life. It does. And when you do that, when you create the magic, I think you also create a place where people want to work and stay um, and feel part of something uh, greater. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the great resignation now, and, and it's talked about like it's an event. It's, it's not an event. I mean, we've known that the population was changing, will continue to change for at least 30 years now, if, if not longer. So um, if there are fewer people to employ, then what is a key differentiator? And it's, it's going to be tapping into who they are and what intrigues them. And, you know, as you said, you've been on, on my show, Say Hi to the Future. And one of the things that somebody said they, they, they love so much about our organization is they get to meet people like yourself and other um, ingenious thinkers from actually all seven continents, because there we have spoken with researchers from Antarctica. And, you know, you think about career milestones or moments. And I, frankly, I think we 30 years ago, I didn't think about those today. I do. And when I heard that, I thought, okay, that's an organization I'm really proud to have helped craft um, when people say that to me. And, and, and I think that that is super critical because, yes, the population in whatever, 20, 30 years is expected to continue to decline. We are going to continue to get older. Um, we have to create magic um, for those people we want to have on our teams. The point that you made, that statistic, that the population is going to continue to be in decline is not one that I think many people are aware of. And that fundamental implication to your ability to hire talent, because there has been this belief or maybe this understanding that you have an infinite pool of people that will want to come work for your company. But when you actually look at the data, that's absolutely not true. And so this continued uh, shift in power towards the employee is going to be in perpetuity. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so you have to understand what people want, need, what drives them fundamentally, and such that there's a mutual value exchange. And if there isn't, that's going to be a challenge because they need to buy into what your company is about, what impact you're going to have, and does it align to their purpose in life as well? Yes. And, and 
I think it's, I believe it's Forbes and I think it was a Forbes 300 and I, and, and it was, um, I just recently read it. It's, it's, um, companies that new grads want to work for. And if you look at the shift in, in who those companies are and you look at the cultures, um, and how some of the older, uh, more traditional fortune 500 com- fortune 500 companies might be falling down that list. It really shows you that, um, who we want to work for, how we want to work uh, is, is changing and that there are companies recognizing that. And, and the ones at the top of the list truly are thriving in the marketplace. So uh, it, it, look, even if you have a small company, as I do, small or midsize, you've got to recognize um, the culture you need and, and the passion that you need to instill. Yeah, and change is constant and uncertainty is the new certainty. So to uh, transition to closing, or so to close, I have a few more questions to ask you. Sure. What would you say your definition of success is today? And how has it evolved from when you started your entrepreneurial journey? I'm going to borrow somebody else's words. And, and I, I wish I could remember who I, I you know, first said it, but they, they said success to significance. And success was originally uh, more financially uh, motivated and significance, especially with say hi to the future. Uh, there's there's a very strong social activation to it. So um, I I think that I've changed. I've matured. Um, but I, I've also you know financially been lucky enough to be able to do that. Um, and and a lot of people would say no, you can do it anyway. True, I get it. But it it is it is easier to move to significance and um, giving more of your time away. Um, to help charitable non not for profit organizations and whatnot when when you feel a little bit more stable, um, especially as you close in on retirement. <laughs> 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 not that I'm quite ready yet, but um, so yeah, I, I love that line. Success to significance. I think it really encapsulates a lot of us. And what's the best work or career advice you've ever received? Well, I think it was from my um, my my late father, um, who was a very successful entrepreneur, and I'm going back maybe 30 years, and I started my first what I'll say real business, like not university type thing. And um, um, there was some, you know there was some growing pains and issues, and 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 he said, you know, you have to slow the world down. Um, he said, stop thinking about everything in its entirety, break it down into four or five, six points and understand what you are going to address in the next 15 minutes. Um, Otherwise, you're just going to get so bogged down in the totality and you're not going to work through it. And and I've I've followed that for many years, um, to be honest. That's incredibly sage advice and so relevant right now because we all have a tendency to uh, look at the big bang, right? It's like, what's the big thing I need to accomplish when reality, there are so many small steps that you need to take to accomplish that big goal. And when you're able to break that down into its smallest parts, it makes it manageable. It makes it doable. It, it actually, I think tampons, um, tamps down the fear mm-hmm. <laughs> that we have of being able to do it. So I think that's a very, very, uh, sage advice. And so finally, what's the best way listeners can connect with you? The best way is email, ktensor at spider.works. And it's uh, T-E-N-C-E-R at spider with a Y-S-P-Y-D-E-R dot works. 
or uh, LinkedIn, go to say hi to the future and connect and reach out to me. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing great insights and helping us better understand what human ingenuity is, the importance of really the exploration of yourself, the exploration of others on your team and in your business to really shift success and how you might have defined it before to significance. So thank you. Thanks, Connie. It's a pleasure as always talking to you. We never have all of the information. We don't know exactly what the future holds. We don't know what new markets or technologies will disrupt our lives and businesses. We don't know what danger or opportunity might be hiding right around the corner. But we still have to make decisions. We still have to solve problems. And we're faced with new problems every day. Although we can't equip ourselves with all of the information, we can do the next best thing. Develop our capacity for human ingenuity. Ken Tenser defines human ingenuity as clever, inventive, and original thinking. It is the capacity to make decisions without all the information. But human ingenuity isn't something that exists in a silo. It's a byproduct of community and collaboration. Whether it's your peers, what you see in the market, what your customers are saying, what your kids are saying, it's the breadth of information that helps you better understand what is going on. Listen to what they're saying. But more than that, try to understand why they're saying it. And our collective capacity for ingenuity is stronger when we're surrounded by different kinds of people. Diversity of people fosters diversity of thought. If you want to find a new solution to a problem, this is where you start. I'm Connie Steele, and you've been listening to the Strategic Momentum Podcast. If you'd like to find out how I can help you or your company create the necessary momentum to succeed in the new world of work, please visit my website at ConnieWSteele.com. There, you can learn more about my consulting services and research studies, as well as additional resources for building the business of you. These resources include my book, Building the Business of You, and an online curriculum designed to help anyone who's looking to make a career change, but isn't quite sure where to start. Because you're a listener of the podcast, you can get 50% off the course by using the code podcast at checkout. To connect with me, go to LinkedIn or Twitter and search for Connie W. Steele. Or you can find me on Instagram at Connie Wang Steele. And if you've liked what you heard, please follow the show and share this episode with friends and colleagues. You can also get show notes, links, and more advice from this episode at ConnieWSteele.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. And we're looking forward to helping you create the necessary momentum in your work and life so you can continue to build the business of you.